I was driving down Interstate 70. It was a sunny Friday afternoon in my 1996 Pontiac Bonneville as I made the trip from Central Christian College of the Bible back here to Warrensburg to be home for the weekend. And as I was driving along, the warning chime on my car went off, signaling that I was running low on fuel. Well, this car didn't have the fancy technology where it said, this is exactly how many miles you can go until you run out of gas. But surely, I thought, I can make it to exit 49, the 13 and 70 junction there in Higginsville. And so I pressed on. I was about a mile or so east of exit 49 as I just crested a hill, and that's when my car began to hesitate. It began to shudder. And suddenly, this fear came over me that I am out of gas on a busy interstate, and I have to pull off the side of the road, and somehow, I was going to have to walk a mile and get some gas to come put in my car. So I quickly reached down, shut off my air conditioner. I don't know if that saves any gas, but I was trying to do anything I could to limp along and make it there. So I coasted down the hill. There's a slight curve to the left, and I started coming up the off-ramp. And so I looked to my left, and there were no cars coming. So I didn't stop. I was low on gas. I was running on empty, so I turned the wheel to the right as I went through the stop sign, And as soon as I went through the stop sign, my car died. So with no power steering, I grabbed my steering wheel and pulled hard to the right side of the road. And when I came to a stop, this was my view out my passenger window. So close, yet so far. So I turned the ignition, nothing. On the second turn of the ignition, the engine fired up, so I put her in gear, floored the gas pedal to get every last drop of gas that I could, and as I turned into the gas station, the engine died, but luckily I had enough, ga- enough momentum to pull alongside a gas pump. You see, running on empty isn't necessarily something we would say is fun and exciting. It can be scary. It can bring a fear over us because we don't have any control. Over the last few weeks, our study on Sunday mornings has been focused on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue that today, and we're going to look at three characteristics of a Spirit-filled life. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is writing to us to tell us how we as Christians should live our life in order that we imitate that of Christ. And in verse 18, he says, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I want to challenge you to do something that's completely opposite of what our culture would tell us to do. I want to challenge you to run on empty. Empty yourself. Empty yourself of your desires, your agenda, your goals, and your wants. And instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit's desires, the Spirit's goals, the Spirit's agendas, and the Spirit's want in your life. But the problem is, in order to be filled with the Spirit, we first have to run on empty. 
And so our first characteristic that we're going to look at this morning of a spirit-filled life is that you are becoming less. You're becoming less. This command that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5 verse 18, there's three things I want to point out about it. First, this command in Greek is plural, which means it's for everyone. He's not just addressing a certain group of people, the missionaries, the ministers, elders, deacons. He's saying if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are instructed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that the verb is in the present tense, which means keep on being filled. This isn't a one-time deal when you came back and got baptized and gave your life to Christ and you can check that off. This is a continual process, a daily process of running on empty so that the Spirit can fill you. And third, this verb is passive, which means that you and I, we don't have any direct role in taking the Spirit and filling ourselves with it. Rather, we focus on becoming less. We focus on run to try and run empty to create the space in us so that the Spirit fills us. We don't fill ourselves, And I think that can be a challenging uh, task to try to accomplish in today's society because it's so easy and we're almost fed the mentality of trying to fill ourselves. Make a name for yourself. Go to this college. Go to this university. Get these degrees. Get this car. Get this house. Do all of this stuff and fill yourself up. But the problem is when we fill ourselves, there's no room for the spirit in our life. There was a martial arts student who was meeting with his master and teacher at a table having tea. The student said to his master, I've learned all you have to teach me about defending myself, but there's one more thing I want you to teach me. Please teach me about the ways of God. So the master, sitting across from a student, took the tea kettle and started pouring tea into the student's cup. Soon the cup was so full it began to spill over onto the saucer. But the master continued pouring the tea into the cup, and soon it was spilling over the saucer and onto the floor. And finally, the student said, stop, stop, the tea is spilling over. The cup can't take anymore. The master then looked at the student and said, you're right. You're so full of yourself that there's no room in your life for God. And it's impossible for you to learn the ways of God until you learn to empty yourself. And see, John the Baptist understood this. And in John 3.30, he says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. It's a constant struggle because of our sinful nature to stop filling ourselves, And instead, we need to focus on decreasing our wants, our desires, sacrificing those so we can create space for the Spirit to fill us. So what do you fill yourself with? What do I fill myself with? Do we fill ourselves with things of this world? Or instead, are we focused on emptying ourselves, becoming less so the Spirit can fill us? D.L. Moody said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there is no room 
for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. So as we become less, as we empty ourselves, we create space in our life daily for the Spirit to fill us. And when the Spirit begins to fill us, it can start to transform us. And that's the second characteristic of a Spirit-filled life, that you are being transformed. Paul, again, tells us, this time in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, I think Paul understood how easy it is to focus on ourselves and to begin to fill ourselves. And he warns us, don't copy the customs, don't copy the ways of the world. But instead, let God, through His Spirit, transform the way you think. Transform the way you act. Transform the way you speak. And I wonder if we called in each of our closest friends that's known us for some time, and we asked them, have you seen the Spirit transform my life, what they would say. Has the Spirit transformed your life this week, month, year? Over the past five years, has the Spirit done any work in your life to transform you? John D. Rockefeller Sr. was a strong and husky Strong and husky when he was a youth. And early on, he was determined to earn money. And he drove himself to the limit. And at the age of 33, he earned his first million dollars. At the age of 43, he controlled the biggest company in the world. And at age 53, he was the richest man on earth and the world's only billionaire. Then he developed a sickness called alopecia, where the hair on his head fell out His eyelashes and eyebrows disappeared, and he had shrunken like a mummy. His weekly income was $1 million, but he could only digest milk and crackers. He was so hated in Pennsylvania that he had to have bodyguards by his side day and night. He could not sleep. He stopped smiling a long time ago, and he enjoyed nothing in life. The doctors predicted he wouldn't live another year. The newspaper had gleefully written his obituary in advance just in case he died and they could use it for sudden use. But those sleepless nights laying in bed left him thinking, and he realized with a new light that he could not take a single dime into the next world. Money was not everything. God was displeased with his sinful life, so then and there he surrendered his life to Christ, repenting of his sins and pleading for God to change his heart. The next morning, he awoke a new man. He began to help churches with his amassed wealth. The poor and needy were not overlooked, and he established the Rockefeller Foundation, whose funding of medical researches led to the discovery of penicillin and several other wonder drugs. John D. began to sleep well, eat, and enjoy life. You could say he began to live life to the fullest. The doctors had predicted he would not live over the age of 54, but 
he ended up living to be 98 years old. See, John D. Rockefeller was focused on filling himself, copying the customs of this world. And it wasn't until he started to empty himself and the spirit got a hold of him that his life was transformed. His character was different. It was no longer about what John D. Rockefeller wanted, but instead what the Spirit was doing in his life. And that's how it should be in each of our lives. When we give our life to Christ and we empty ourselves, we become less and the Spirit enters us, it should start to transform us. And as we are transformed, we should start to see certain fruits in our life because of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, Paul shares some of the results or the fruits of living with the sinful nature, and then he talks about the fruits when you live by the Spirit, starting in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, when we fill ourselves, we fill ourselves with our sinful desires. And the results, the fruit are very clear as Paul mentions here. And the outcome is very different than when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruits, the results are completely opposite of the world. And so my question is, is the Spirit transforming you? Do we as Christians, do we as the church look different than the world because of the Spirit in our lives? Has the Spirit transformed our hate into love? Has the Spirit transformed our misery to joy, to joy, our distrust to peace, our intolerance to patience? Has the Spirit transformed our animosity to kindness, our wickedness to goodness, our skepticism and distrust to faithfulness? Has it transformed our uncontrolled strength to gentleness and our impulsiveness to self-control? Are we following the customs of this world or are we letting the Spirit enter our lives and transform us? See, Paul experienced this transformation in his life. Paul, once Saul, was against the church. He persecuted the church. In fact, he gave his approval for the stoning of a first Christian martyr, Stephen. 
And we know the story that on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. He went into town. He was given his sight back. And as the Spirit entered his life, he was transformed. Paul went on to plant many of the early churches. And Paul went on to be murdered, decapitated. Here he was, participating in the killing of Christians. The Spirit enters his life and he's transformed and now he himself is killed for his belief. Paul experienced the transformation of the Spirit in his life. So as we become less, we create space in our life for the Holy Spirit to enter us, to fill us. And when the Spirit enters us and fills us, it starts to transform us. And when we're transformed, the Spirit can lead us. And that's the third point of a Spirit-filled life, is that you're being led. Just a few weeks ago during the communion thought, Justin Danielson shared his story about when he was ministering at a church in Texas. And as he was on his way to the hardware store, he felt the Spirit nudge him, guide him, that he needed to go knock on a man's door. And so he did. And sometime later, the man told him, you know, right before you came to knock on my door, I was getting ready to take my own life. The Spirit wants to lead us. Romans 8.14, Paul again speaking, for all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Again, if we're children of God, we're instructed to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can be led. Picking up off of Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, where we left off, Paul again says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. When we empty ourselves, the Spirit can then begin to lead us. You know, I still remember sitting down at McDonald's after I ordered my meal. And I knew something was up. Something was just a little different. But I didn't know what it was, so I was a little bit nervous. And so as I unwrapped my cheeseburger, and was a couple bites in, sitting across from me, he said, Well, Steve... That's what he called me. We're moving. I thought, what? You're moving? My youth minister and at that time my co-worker, Bob Bacon and his family, were moving. And that didn't make any sense because he and his wife's family were here in Missouri. They grew up here. They had three small kids involved at the church. Why would you move? halfway across the country to the big city of Boston. And he said, at the time, in the upper room with the high school students, they were doing a series similar to what we're doing, talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said this, I can't expect my high school students to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit if I'm not willing to do it myself. When the Spirit fills us, it transforms us, and it will lead us to places we never imagined. Now, do I think we're all going to be led to go overseas and be missionaries? No. Do I think, do I think we're all going to be 
called and led to move halfway across the country to be ministers? No. But I do know for a fact that we're all being called and led across the street to talk to our neighbor, across that hallway at work to talk with the coworker, to that other lunch table in the cafeteria to talk with that person that always sits by themselves, to the line at the supermarket to talk with that cashier. The Spirit wants to lead us and guide us, but the question is, are we listening? Before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food. Ice houses had thick walls, no windows, and a tightly fitted door. In winter, when streams and lakes were frozen, large blocks of ice were cut and hauled to these ice houses and covered with sawdust. Oftentimes, the ice would last well into the summer. One man lost a valuable watch while working in an ice house. He searched diligently for it, carefully raking through the sawdust, but he didn't find it. His fellow workers also looked, but their efforts, too, proved futile. A small boy who heard about the fruitless search slipped into the ice house during the noon hour and soon emerged with the watch. Amazed, the men asked him how he found it. I closed the door, the boy replied, laid down in the sawdust and kept very still. Soon, I heard the watch ticking. Oftentimes, we don't hear the Spirit speak because we do not listen well enough. And I wonder sometimes if we even expect the Spirit to lead us. Do we wake up each morning wondering what type of adventure the Spirit's going to take us on? As we go throughout the day, are we waiting to hear what the Spirit has us to tell on how to react to certain things? Or instead, do we wake up every morning with our day planned out. Our phone dings and tell us, tells us where to go, at what time to do things. We look through our agenda and know where we have to be. As we go throughout the day, we make the calls. We already know what we're supposed to be doing. Do we choose to lead ourselves? Do we choose to fill ourselves? See, when we choose to follow Jesus, when we commit to being his follower, his disciple, we also commit to becoming less and emptying ourselves so that we create space in us for the Spirit to fill us and transform us and lead us. So my question for you today is, are you running on empty? It can be scary. It can bring a fear over you because you've surrendered all control. But it's not until we run on empty that the Spirit can fill us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the gift of your Son, and it's because of his sacrifice that we can be freed from the consequences of our sin and have eternal life. God, I'm also thankful for the gift of your Spirit. Well, oftentimes it's a forgotten God in our life. I pray that this series has helped us become more aware of the Spirit's presence in the world and in our lives. 
And that this week, we'd focus on becoming empty. Becoming less so that you can become greater. Your spirit can fill our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This week, I hope you'll focus on emptying yourself, on becoming less, and expecting the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you throughout every single day. But some of you, maybe you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus and be baptized. The Spirit is important. Paul, again, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. If you haven't chosen to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, now is your opportunity. Let's stand.